What's going on? And welcome to the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside my co-host Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. Happy game day. Yes, we finally have a game today after four days off with the cancellation of Monday's game against the Dallas Mavericks. The Pelicans are now starting their West Coast trip as they begin with the Los Angeles Clippers. And joining us now is Noah Eagle, radio voice of the Los Angeles Clippers, also play-by-play voice for Nickelodeon. Now I'm just going to kind of put that into your title, Noah. Um, first off, how are you? How, how did you recover from that Nickelodeon game? I recovered. I recovered just fine. Uh, no slime. No slime to clean off. So that is a, a plus and a minus because I think it's every kid's, every Nickelodeon fan's dream to get slimed once in their life. So hopefully, if we do it again, that will happen. But other than that, uh, no, it was it was a lot of fun. It was cool to be back in New Orleans, even with everything not quite the same, but just to be near the French Quarter is always fun. Uh, and to be in the Superdome was great. And it was a tease because I got to see the Smoothie King Center, but knowing yeah. that I'm not gonna be able to go to the Smoothie King Center. So uh, just a, a tad of a tease as well while I was there. Yeah, I know. It's a shame that you all can't come visit, but hopefully soon we'll, we'll get things right and be able to go visit each other. We would be in Los Angeles right now too, so bummed that we won't be in Staples Center tonight. Before we get into it, just talk about your experience doing that Nickelodeon broadcast, because it was so unique. Um, got really good reviews from what I've heard. Um, just a, a different broadcast of what you're normally used to when, when calling a football game. Just what was that experience like for you uh, doing that uh, with Nate Burleson and company? Yeah, it was a blast. I think the, the thing that I took away from it was everybody had fun with us. And that was, that was our goal going in because we knew that our target audience was going to be very different. We were trying to captivate. We were trying to pique the interest of kids, maybe kids who had never seen a football game before. So our mentality going in was, let's just have fun with each other. Let's just make this a conversation and let's make sure that we invite all the viewers because we knew that it was going to be people who maybe have been watching football for 20 plus years and those who are watching their first game in their entire lives. So uh, it was a little bit of a challenge to balance those two, but I think we did a good job of doing that. And I was lucky because Nate Burleson's an absolute star. We had two kids from Nickelodeon who are awesome and born performers, Gabby Nebea Green and Lex Lumpkin. And our crew was really, really well put together and very much prepared. They spent weeks, months, just creativity, putting in blood, sweat, and tears, as if you want to go for the cliche. But they were, they were fantastic. And so they put us all in the right positions to go out there and just be ourselves. And so that's what we did. So it was unique, but it was definitely a lot of fun to be a part of. And I'm glad that that it was well-received, as you said. Noah, what, what kind of feedback have you gotten? I know that obviously there were a lot of kids that were watching this, but from my perception, from just reviewing different media sites and um, a couple places that really follow broadcasting, that it seems like there was a lot of positive stuff said about it that, you know, even though it might've been, like you said, the, the broadcast was geared for a lot of people, but, you know, you know, pr- primarily for kids, but it seemed like there were a lot of adults that also really enjoyed kind of a different <laughs> I did. take on, on broadcasting. Yeah, I, that was that was definitely one of the, the wrenches thrown in. One of the biggest surprises was how many adults ended up texting me or, or saying on Twitter or whatever that they were enjoying it. And I think the reason for that, and I said this during the broadcast, was that I realized during my, my preparation for the game, and this was one of my favorite parts preparing for the game, that Nickelodeon has stretched and touched several generations. It's been three to four different generations now that's been on the air and and kids have watched it growing up. And so I think what Nate and I tried to do was hit every generation at some point in the show. 
And by doing that, it created this sense of nostalgia for a lot of adults. And I think that's why they enjoyed it. I think that's why anyone from 20 years old and all the way up to 60 years old seemed to at some point feel like, oh, I remember that show or, oh yeah, this is great. Or it was the sense that they got to watch it with their kids. And that aspect of it was great. I mean, there were a ton of people that reached out to me and said it was the first time that their son or daughter watched the game from start to finish. Those were the coolest messages because that means that we did what we were supposed to do. We were, we were trying to keep the interest, keep the attention span of maybe kids who don't have the most vast attention spans available to them. So, yeah, I think that that sense of nostalgia, reminiscence of childhood brought something out of people that they didn't expect when they tuned into the game. And that was cool. Absolutely. Uh, informative and entertaining. That's for sure. Uh, we are going to talk some basketball right now. And before I get to Jim, he has some basketball questions for you. Just kind of give fans an overview of the Clippers so far through 11 games, seven and four. Um, you know, it's hard sometimes on the West coast to be able to catch up with clip uh, with Clippers games. So kind of give <laughs> us a, an overall feel of how the Clippers are doing so far early on in the season. Yeah. Start of the season on a, a really tough tear in terms of who they played to start the year. Started with the Lakers opening night then Christmas night with Denver. So the two Western conference finalists back to back. And I, I want to say in the first seven games, they maybe played six teams that we would expect to be in the playoffs this year, Portland, Phoenix, Utah. So that first stretch was definitely a tough run. Uh, then they had a couple games against Golden State where they split the two and one against San Antonio, who's, who's much improved this year. And some of those young players are playing at a very high level. So it, it's been a, a interesting start to the season, but I will say the highs have been as high as anybody in the NBA. The starting unit is really good already, and they're still learning how to play with each other. And I would say Nick Batum is going to be considered, if not the steal of the offseason, one of the steals of the offseason, at least the way he's played through the first 11 games. He's been off the charts good, and he's been inserted into the starting lineup. And he's basically said, he, he literally has said, but he his mentality has been, okay, how can I be the Boris DL of San Antonio, the Andre Iguodala of Golden State? He says, I'm playing with these great players in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Lou Williams and et cetera. How can I just seamlessly fit in? And he's done exactly that. He shot the ball well from three. He's really passing it well. And he's keeping the ball moving, keeping it consistently hopping around the perimeter. And that's been the biggest difference this year. Last year, the Clippers ball movement was stagnant at times. This year, it's been consistent. This year, their half-court offense has been the best in the NBA. And their starting five unit has the best net rating in the NBA by a pretty large margin. So when you look at those stats... Teron Lue has done a really good job of integrating his stars and making them feel as comfortable as possible on the offensive end. The next step, and we started seeing this on Sunday against Chicago, is finding those rotations throughout the entire 48 minutes, finding what bench units work well together, mixing and matching with the starting unit and the bench unit. And so they're, they're figuring that out, and that's already helped their defense take a step further. No, before I get into some questions about the Clippers, I wanted to say I actually grew up in the Syracuse area. Oh. As, a, as a kid, I grew up watching, I think it was called Fox Sports New York back then, and maybe like Sports Channel New York. And so the, the Knicks games on MSG were on like a different cable tier or something. So the Nets games were the games that we watched all the time. It's funny. I don't know if you've ever run into this, but there's, I think there's a decent amount of people in upstate New York who are Nets fans not Knicks fans, because those were the games that were on TV. So I think you know where I'm going with this, that I remember watching 
your dad, pro- it was probably the very beginning of his career when he was on the games, like in the uh, mid to late nineties. So yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's funny that I, I've been going back and watching him on TV for a long time. And I know he, I think he makes references to Syracuse a decent amount too, which I appreciate as well. Yeah. Without a doubt. I will, first of all, appreciate that. And uh, yeah, no, there are, there are definitely people I ran into when I was in central New York that had a, a similar sentiment just because of the exact scenario you described. And so that's always cool to hear. And uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty much around my age was when he was doing that. Uh, he started with the Nets right around 24, 25, mm. I'm 24. So that's been a, a cool full circle moment without a doubt. Definitely. Um, as far as the, the Clippers go, um, how much of a factor do you think just the weirdness of the season has, of, of the circumstances has been on the way that they've played so far? I know you guys are probably, um, it's only 10, 11 games of the season. You're probably already tired of people talking about the 50 point loss, for example. But I mean, how much of a, how much of a factor do you think it's been in terms of like, just uh, almost every team in the league could probably say this, that there's just been some re- certain results of games that have been baffling in terms of the picture overall. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about with a 50-point <laughs> I mean, I'm unaware. I'm unaware of that. They're trying to forget uh, no, about we, that, Jim. Yeah, we 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 basically just eliminated that game all all together. That was that was what Teron Lou wanted to do after the game. He was asked, "Do you just throw this game tape out?" He's like, "Yeah, we're not watching a single second of this." That was basically how they went about it, and they bounced back. Yeah, I think I think you hit it though. It's every team right now is trying to figure out their own identity. And that, that should be expected, given how the, the training camp was, how preseason was. This is basically an extended training camp in preseason for the first anywhere from 10 to 20 games. I think by the time we're through 20 games, we'll, we'll have a decent idea of what teams are, their identities, what, they're, what they do well, what they don't do well. But the other factor, of course, is now players missing because of protocol. And we're seeing a couple teams go through that. The Nets were one of them. Kevin Durant missed seven days. Now Kyrie Irving, that's a whole different situation, but you're not having your stars. Boston's dealing with it. Uh, Dallas is dealing with it, as you guys know. So these teams now, not only did they have a short training camp and really not the right runway time to fully prepare for the season, but now they have to deal with extended times off. And so it, it breaks up your rhythm. And I think this season is going to be so unique in that sense. Really, whichever team can find its way through it and navigate these deep waters the best is probably going to be the team, as long as they're talented enough to stack up with the top teams in the league, that comes out the best and finds their way through this season. It's no different than the bubble. Whoever was going to handle the bubble the best was going to come out on top. And the Lakers most certainly did. They, they found their way through it. They were a collective unit. Miami was built for the bubble. I think we, we saw that firsthand. We, we realized that the Heat were constructed for an environment like that. They were mentally tough, as mentally tough as any team in the NBA. And so when you look at that, I think you can compare it to this season with the shorter time to prepare and with the just unpredictability of the season. Not to mention, pretty much every team has new faces either a new coach or new key pieces on their team. So Indiana, they've got pretty much their core unit, got a brand new coach. So now you're implementing a new system. New Orleans, you've got a new coach. You've got some new faces like Steven Adams, who's going to be playing big minutes. So you've got to adjust. For us, for the Clippers, Serge Ibaka's new. Nick Batum is new. Luke Kennard is new. 
how can you integrate? We lose the sixth man of the year. Montrez Harrell's no longer with the team. So that's new. He was playing a whole lot of minutes last year. We've got a new coach. So implementing all those, even the Lakers who won the championship last year, they've got a completely revamped roster. And so they're trying to figure out how to play with each other. So I think you're seeing that across the league. And that's why any given night you're saying, really, that happened? And I think it's going to be that way for another 10 or so games. Sure. Yeah, Daniel, we can definitely edit out the part that I said about the 50-point game. We can <laughs> take that out. And we'll also, we'll also, if Noah brings up anything about the home, the recent homestand that the Pelicans had, especially the, yeah. th- the last 30 seconds of the Indiana game, we'll, we'll make sure that that doesn't get in the podcast either. So you got we'll, it. I'll, I'll, I'll jot down some notes about that. We'll make sure we take care of that. Um, last last thing before I go back to Daniel, I wanted to ask you about Noah was just um, there was a lot of discussion last season about how, you know, the Clippers, the way that they treated the regular season, it was kind of like gearing up towards the playoffs, making sure that you're ready for the playoffs. Obviously, it was a, the most disjointed NBA season in the history of the league. So it was that was a factor as well. But do you feel like, you know, just looking at the stats and I've watched the Clippers play probably two or three times already this season are they, you think they're taking a different approach? It seems like they don't have as many guys in and out of the lineup as much. It's more of a set thing. I think they've had the same starting lineup. One of the starting lineups that they they've had like eight or nine of the 11 games so far, for example, I mean, how much, how much of a different approach do you see so far? Yeah, definitely a different approach. I would say just to, to reference last year, I think you're right. I think the fact that the league got put on pause for four months really hurt the Clippers because if you look at just before the hiatus, they were among, if not the best, they were among the best teams in the NBA. I think they had a stretch maybe maybe where they were nine and one or something. It was, I'd have to go back in my notes and check, but they were playing as well as anybody in the NBA. Them and the Lakers were just plugging along and they had that battle right before. And it was again, right down to the wire. And so when you look at that, they were really gelling and you could already, you could feel it. You could see it things were starting to happen. They were starting to move and they had everybody healthy finally for the stretch for the first time in the entire season. They were winning. They were not just winning, but blowing teams out. I mean, they crushed Houston in Houston. Uh, They crushed Memphis. Like they were, they crushed Denver by 25 points. So I think when we looked at that, we were saying, okay, this team's rounding a corner. And then they got put on pause for four months. So that really hurt them. Not to mention they got to the bubble and they started missing guys because of personal reasons. Lou Williams was out. Patrick Beverly was out. Montrose Harrell was out. And this was extended time. I mean, Montrose Harrell missed 30 days. So when you've got that and you now had that continuity for a very short period of time and it showed the success, continuity is taken away from you. That can mess with your rhythm a little bit. So I do think that played a factor. But you're right. It's, a def- it's absolutely a different approach this season. The big thing that that Teron Liu and his staff, including Chauncey Billups and Kenny Atkinson and Dan Craig, it's a, it's a tremendous staff they put together. Their thing to the players is we're not cutting corners. And so all you, the only example I think you need is, so now I'm trying to figure out which day. I, I lose track of the days of the week, yeah. guys, in the current landscape of the world. Same here. I think, yeah, I think it's a common thread where I just don't know. But if I'm correct, it was Wednesday. That's That's correct now that I think about it. So a week ago was the first time Kawhi Leonard played in a back-to-back since 2017. It was over a thousand days since he played in a back-to-back. That's really all you need to know. That's all you need to to see to understand that this is different. And these guys, and that, by the way, that was like the coaching staff said, okay, don't worry. You can sit this. He said, no, I'm playing. That was his idea. That was his doing. 
And so he said, I, I feel good enough to play and I want to play in more games this year. So that's the mentality I think that the team has adopted. And they've seen that, for example, they've seen Kawhi do that and they've all followed suit. I think everybody has bought in to what everyone's trying to accomplish. I mean, I know Lou Williams, his role, his minutes have declined. He's totally cool with it. He's gone to the coaches and said, I just want to help you win. So that's the mentality that everybody has adopted. You talk about implementing a new system with Ty Lue and mentioned the players that you've gained and players you have lost. And one of those also is Serge Ibaka, who kind of replaces Montrez Harrell, but obviously has a different style where he spaces the floor. It seems like now in the offense, you're, you have five shooters on the floor primarily all the time. How does that change Ty Lue's approach as far as the offense when you have so many guys that can shoot from beyond the arc? It, no, it fits his approach. It, it is tailor-made for, for what he likes to do. If you look at what he did in Cleveland, it was a lot of spread five out because he understood, okay, I have LeBron James and I have Kyrie Irving. How can we put them in the best positions to be successful? Well, if you clear the lane, you're allowing them to attack the paint, kick out to shooters, relocate, and get open opportunities for themselves. And so he's adopted the same mentality with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Spread it out. Nick Batum can just stand in the corner. Serge Ibaka can stand out on the perimeter, and he can be effective. And Patrick Beverly has shot the ball. He, he went one for six on Sunday, and he's still shooting 44% from three after going one for six. That's how well he shot the ball from downtown. And so when you've got the threat of all five guys being able to shoot, and Paul George has been, it's been over 50% from three this year, and he's making four attempts per game. He's making four threes per game at over 50%. So when you've got all of those as threats, you can clear it out, and the way that they've been playing is they're playing through Kawhi Leonard in the short post. And so if they can do that and have him in the post because he's a great post player and he's a great passer, he's an underrated passer, so now you're allowing him to help either put his teammates in the good positions or put himself in good positions. And I think that's the main difference from this year versus last year is they're truly playing their offense through the 2 one, three connection, as we like to call them, Kawhi and PG. Yeah, so you mentioned the three-point shooting uh, for the team with all those shooters and Nick Batum and, and Paul George um, and Serge Ibaka. But what I noticed also, too, and this is just from my reading of the team, is that, you know, Patrick Beverly is, you know, technically the point guard, but at the same time, career low in assists, and that's not a knock on him. It's just how the offense is being led with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard having career highs in assists. How has that changed their, you know, approach as far as, you know, kind of anyone can take it up and anyone can run the offense with, with Ty Lue's system and all the shooters surrounding them? Yeah, I think that a lot of the knock on a team going into the season was, well, they don't have the traditional playmaker. But people didn't realize the level that Kawhi and PG can be playmakers themselves. And I think that's the biggest difference in their games this year is them facilitating for their teammates is at an all-time high. And the passes that they've been making are impressive. Some that Kawhi has made, they've been out of this world good. And so when you've got those guys who – can be as much of a threat as anybody on the floor to score. I mean, they combined for 63 points on Sunday, but they can also go out there and combine for 18 assists. That is next level leadership. That is next level all-star play. And so you, you have to do that. You have to have it funneling through them. You have to have their ball in their hands as much as possible. And that's what Teron Lou has done differently this year. I think last year, it was hard because you you had a team that was really successful the year prior. They won 49 games and or 48 games, excuse me. Last year they won 49, um, but the year prior they were they made the playoffs. They gave Golden State a good run, and those guys played hard and they played well. And I think it was hard to now welcome in 
two new guys to a roster and just say, all right, go ahead, play. Because everybody had already become comfortable in their roles. Now the roles are very clearly defined. Kawhi and PG, this is your team. We're playing through you. Marcus Morris is back, and he's already helping to to keep some continuity in the second unit. And, no, I think everybody's just bought in, and that's been the biggest difference. So Patrick Beverly, yeah, career low in assists, but he's bought in because he's getting really good open opportunities from three. He has the green light when he sees the lane to go in there and make a play, and he's still focused on playing great defense, and he's done that so far this year. For the most part, take Sunday out of the equation – He's done it without fouling, and that was a big problem for him last year. It was playing. He, he fouled a, a little, especially down the stretch, because he was dealing with injuries, and so to overcompensate, he was fouling a little bit too much. Now he's back to being healthy, being himself on the defensive end, and he's played really well. He had the first game against Golden State. He shut down Steph Curry. Now, the second game, that didn't happen, because you can't shut down Steph Curry every time out on the floor. But the first game, Steph was like, I, I want to say 5 for 18, maybe 13 points. So when you've got the ability to do that and you've got someone who can just stand in front uh, of a player of that caliber and and really not stop him, but contain him, that's a luxury. And so you'll take that over him averaging six assists per game any day. Last thing before I let you go, as you were prepping for tonight's game between the Pelicans and the Clippers, obviously no Lonzo ball changes things a little bit, but what stuck Mm -hmm. out to you or what sticks out to you about this matchup tonight? Yeah, the rebounding battle, big time. I mean, that's got to be the most glaring back and forth I'm gonna ask Teron Lou about it before the game because the Pelicans are one of the best if not the best rebounding team in the NBA and you've got Steven Adams who I loved what Zion said before the season where he's like I thought I was strong and then I met Steven and I can't move him because nobody can move him the dude's a brick wall he's massive and he's strong and he's tough and so that's going to be a challenge for the Clippers they've struggled to rebound the ball as is and you've got Zion (laughs) And you've got Brandon Ingram. Now, not having Lonzo will help because he's a sneaky good rebounder himself at the guard position. But even without him, I mean, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is long. He's got a a great reach. You've got Jackson Hayes, uber-athletic off the bench. So can the Clippers rebound as a team? Kawhi's done a good job of of crashing the board. The board man is is doing his part. Uh, PG's done a good job when he's needed to. That's something he said he stressed coming into the season was helping more on the glass. But the Clippers as a team has struggled to rebound the basketball, whether that's because they play at a slow pace and rebounds come at a premium because of their slower pace, or it's because they're not in on as many boards as they were a year ago. They were one of the best rebounding teams in the league last season. And so Avita Zubats is questionable for this matchup, but if he does play, he'll play a big role because he's going to have to be in there and really help out on the glass. And if he doesn't play, then it's going to be a collaborative effort. Nick Batum's going to have to help out. Marcus Morris is going to have to help out. Uh, Luke Kennard's going to have to help out because if, if New Orleans continues to get second and third opportunities, that's where I think trouble could be coming for the Clippers. Should be a fun one tonight. Pelicans and Clippers tonight from the Staples Center. Pelicans will stay in Los Angeles and take on the Lakers on Friday. So a tough uh, two games here for the Pelicans as they begin now their West Coast trip. It's Noah Eagle, radio voice of the Los Angeles Clippers. Noah, I appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. I wish we can be there to see you, but uh, hopefully we see you soon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to that time once again when we can all sit in the in the media area and and eat whatever weird food is given to us yeah. <laughs> and fully catch up eye to eye. That's those are always my favorite moments of the season. So looking forward to when that time is a reality again. But thanks for having me on, guys. Looking forward as well to tonight's game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I always love watching Zion. I got to see him in college, and 
that was a treat. And now seeing him in the NBA is an absolute treat as well. So looking forward to that. I miss the uh, ice cream machine at the Staples Center. You might have to have an extra extra bowl or two for me tonight. Okay. Yeah, I I see. I have actually never had the ice cream. I'm trying to go as long as possible. It's like my own test of my own free will and my, my strength, my mental strength. How long can I go without having the ice cream? But everybody <laughs> raves about it so much that at some point I'm going to give in. And once I do, it's going to be it's going to be like I can't stop after that fact. That's why I'm trying to hold out because I'm going to gain 10 pounds in a week. So, yes, I hear that a lot. People do miss the, the Staples Center ice cream machine. Yes, please stay strong, my friend. I'm glad you're able to do that. I don't know how you can do that. Just one visit there and I gained 10 pounds from the ice cream. So I appreciate the time, Noah. Thank you very much. You guys got it. A fantastic interview with Noah Eagle, voice of the Clippers. And now we're just naming him voice of Nickelodeon. I think that just sounds cool after the the Saints and Bears game uh, on Sunday. That was pretty special to watch um, for me as well. Um, But Jim, let's talk about tonight's game. Obviously, Eric Bledsoe questionable no more when head coach Stan Van Gundy talks Later today, it'll be at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. We obviously know no Lonzo Ball. So how do you think this changes as far as rotations? Obviously, that'll be a question for Stan, so I know you can't predict it, but it seems like Stan will have to go to his bench a little more knowing that Lonzo Ball's out tonight. Yeah, I mean, normally I think we might have, if there was a shoot-around, that that question would definitely be asked under normal conditions and we would have a good idea, but we really don't know. And it might be to the advantage of the Pelicans if they don't telegraph how they're going to do their starting lineup. It's kind of reminds me of the Rams Seahawks playoff game on the weekend where the Rams refused to say who was going to be the starting quarterback until they like walked out onto the field. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it could be, I, I would think that Bledsoe, whether he's the point guard in name or, or not in the starting lineup that he'll play some minutes there. And maybe this is an opportunity for a couple other guys to play more. So I think that's definitely one of the most interesting elements of this game, maybe the most from a new Orleans perspective, um, so that, that'll be, that'll be something to watch. Um, I thought Noah made an interesting point about the rebounding battle. Um, you know, the, the Pelicans have been great in that area pretty much every game, but you know, when I list my keys to the game, I didn't mention that one only because <clears throat> sometimes, as I just said, that they win that and they still don't win the game. There's a lot of other areas I think they need to improve upon. Some of them that Stan Van Gundy's talked a lot about lately are turnovers and, playing better defense. There's been some slippage on the defensive end lately. So this is a test though. I mean, the Clippers, I think are playing well. One of the teams that if you want to, excuse me, if you want to try to turn around your defensive performance, this isn't probably one of the teams that you want to see, but it it, it will be a, you know, an example of for the Pelicans that maybe they can get better on the defensive end or, or get a little bit tighter at that end of the floor. Should be a fun one tonight from the Staples Center. Again, as Noah mentioned, it'll be 9 p.m. Central tip tonight. Stay up late, grab some coffee, um, and hopefully enjoy a Pelicans win. If you're not in the Nola area, you can watch it nationally on ESPN. But if you are local, we encourage you to watch on Fox Sports New Orleans with Joel Myers, Antonio Daniels, and Jen Hale. And then on the radio side, ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM, Todd Graffanini, John the Shazer, Caroline Gonzalez, and I'll have pregame for you starting at 8.30 p.m. Central Time. And as Jim mentioned, look out for his keys today on pelicans.com or at Pelicans NBA. And you can follow him on Twitter personally at Jim underscore Eichenhofer. Jim, uh, get get a nap in. I know I certainly will before we begin tonight's game. And I appreciate the time as always. Sure thing. Yeah, this is, I guess, the first example of uh, where we're not traveling and the, the games are, are up late. I know I saw your tweet about 
that you're going to drink an entire bowl of coffee to get ready. I'm actually a night owl. So this is kind of in my wheelhouse. I, I kind of like being awake at midnight, 1, 2 a.m. So we'll see if my performance improves with an extremely late, late game. But uh, I can't guarantee anything, but hopefully I'll be on top of my game regardless of the tip off being so late. Jim's one of those sleep all day and party all night type of people. So this is definitely right up his alley. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely, if you read Jim's recap and it's posted at 3.30 a.m. Central Time, you know that Jim's wide awake and ready to go. We'll have another podcast for you on Friday. Another Los Angeles team, this time the Lakers. So definitely important to try to get one of these two, if not both, on this six-game West Coast trip. For Jim and Noah, I'm Daniel. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek.